Amen. Yeah, a round of applause, please. All right, well, now it's my distinct honor to introduce to you Pastor Steve Cooper. Uh, he's been up here a couple of times. He's always been such an amazing blessing to us. Pastor Gary trusts him with the message up here on stage. And uh, we're just grateful to have him. He's from Pennsylvania, from the shore of the Allegheny River. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Pastor. We love you and appreciate you. God bless you. Hope it, you got it. So I'm glad to be here with you today. Um, my wife and I are snowbirds, so we travel back north in the, um, in the uh, as soon as it starts to get hot here which is usually like March. But we hang on till April and then head back home. It was funny, my little granddaughter, is. Uh, she saw these birds flying in the air and they were in a V shape. And she said, why did they do that, Grandpa? And I said, well, they travel that way from the north down to here because God has given them instinct to get out of the cold weather and come down here where it's warm. And... Um, then when it gets hot, they get in their V again and fly back home. She says, that's just like you, Grandpa. You fly down on a plane and you fly back on a plane. And that's right. I'm just uh, grateful this year has been an especially challenging year for us. Uh, we lost a, a very precious daughter that's uh, with the Lord now. She was just very young. But there was a blessing, too. Uh, our youngest daughter has moved to Florida. And what a great thing that is to have the grandkids right down here. And this was going to work out real well until we found out two families in one house does not work. <laughs> You're supposed to be able to spoil your grandchildren and then send them home. But if where you send them is your home that they're already in, we do these... Uh, Crypto quicks. They're in the paper sometimes, you know. It's just really fun. My dad used to do those and got me started. And uh, we were doing one not long ago, and it said this. I was quoting um, Benjamin Franklin. And it said this. Um, Fish and visitors stink after three days. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> Just recently, my daughter and her husband and two children were able to move out, and they're in Northport now, and we helped them move. <laughs> they were glad to leave, and, and so we were pretty happy, too. The message today is, um, I got the message, I got the title for the message before I ever, uh, ever had the details of it, and I met the pastor must have been a week or two ago, and uh, I told him the title, 2020 Vision. And um, he said, that's what I'm going to preach on, too. <laughs> he said, you kick it off, and then we'll go from there. And I said, that would be great. That would be a great thing to do. I don't normally use a pulpit. Uh, whenever I preach, I like to move around. I like to pace. But I had some vertigo this morning. <laughs> So you can go home and say the pastor was dizzy. So I thought I better stick a little closer, and if I feel like I can do it, I'm going to jump around like normal. But um, 
A lot of things will be on the screen. You'll be able to look at them. You'll be able to see where we are. When you look at 2020 vision, it really has a natural aspect because uh, we all want that naturally. We want to be able to see things clearly. 2020 vision is being able to see at 20 feet what's normally able to be seen at that distance. You know, when they put you in front of the screen and you read down the numbers and then the letters and then and then you begin to look. And the first thing they'll do is have you take off your glasses if you wear them and and they'll say, read the first the first line. And I'll say, well, where is the first line? <laughs> and then we'll let you put your glasses on and you'll be able to see. And, and then you get down to the letters that are just they're little and you can't get them all. And um, then they do a few clicks to see if they can improve that. Just about every year, my eyes uh, need some clicks. They need some improvement. I guess as you get older, that's the way it is. But thank the Lord that way back in the 1200s, Salvino di Amarte, along with Alessandio Spina, I'm probably killing her names, but they created glasses. They, they, they weren't glasses like we're used to. It was like a single glass. Have you ever seen people, the, the older folks, will, uh, they'll have this glass that goes over their eye and they, squeal, they squeeze their eye together and then they're able to see out of this single lens. That's the way it was to begin with. And then a little later on, they were able to make uh, the glasses that go over the nose and ears like we're familiar with today. And uh, Edward Scarlet, 1727, developed that. Ben Franklin's credited with being able to make a bifocal. So you know what that's like. You, you're able to see closer than when you're reading, when you look down like this. And so um, it goes on. In 1971, my glasses were so thick that they were heavy. They were made out of glass, and they would run down my nose like this. Do you know what I mean? because they were so thick, but now they were able in 71 to mix plastic and glass together, and that made them lighter, and, uh, and you can look like you can have pretty bad vision, and people don't even know it because your glasses are the same as theirs. That was a good thing. And then along came contact lenses. Uh, that happened in, uh, in, in the 70s also. I go get my eyes examined every year. And my cataracts are not bad enough yet to be operated on. It's now wonderful. And then if you have other things go wrong, they have ways that they can treat such diseases, glaucoma and macular degeneration. Some of us suffer with those kind of things with our eyes, and we like to get them fixed if it's possible because it's so important to be able to see. But the Bible speaks about a spiritual eye. And in fact, there's a whole passage up here about all the things that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It's talking about a spiritual aspect of our vision. And um, it's very important to have that quality because all kinds of things happen to you from a spiritual perspective when you can see with eyes of understanding. It's the Spirit of God who gives us that ability. In fact, someone said this, What the eye is to the body, the Spirit is to the soul. That's the heart of the person, the center of being. Another passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, The light 
of the wor- of the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, thine eye be single, thy whole being shall be filled with light. And then it took me a long time to learn this lesson that Job uh, learned uh, early on, I believe, in his life. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. That's the NIV translation. I remember back in the, uh, it was the early 70s, my wife and I had just got married. We, our first car was a 1957 Plymouth two-door sedan, and it had the bench seats in it. There were no, uh, there were no safety issues on this at all. It didn't have seat belts or anything. It just had a bench seat the whole way across. And it was really cool because your girlfriend could come really close to you then. You could put your arm around her here on this side, and you could steer with the other hand. That's what I was doing. I was steering along, going down the streets of Vandergrift when a girl dressed in a provocative way was on the sidewalk, and I was looking like this. Suddenly, my arm was up like this. I got this right in the ribs. And we might as well have had bucket seats the rest of the way home. She scooted over the... I learned something that day. Not to look at girls when I'm with my wife. Better yet, to make a covenant with your eyes. The eyes are the windows of the soul. When you look at a person, especially the opposite sex, look at their eyes. Talk to them. Look at their face. And this is what uh, Job is talking about, a covenant with your eyes. And then in 2 Kings 6.17, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. It's just there's a, there's a scripture here that's talking about a situation in Israel. The king of Syria wanted to just defeat Israel so bad, so he'd make these plans about how he was going to attack Israel. And then Elijah the prophet would hear from God, and he'd tell the king of Israel, don't go there, the Syrian king is there to ambush you. And every time the Syrian king would make this plan to attack Israel, Elijah would go to the king of Israel and say, hey, you better not go there. The Lord just told me they're laying wait for you. Suddenly the king of Syria says, well, what's going on here? Who is betraying me? He wanted to know who in the world was telling, but his people were telling the secrets to the king of Israel so that they couldn't win any battles. They couldn't even get near them. And one of his men said, it's none of us, Lord. It's, it's that prophet Elijah. He's telling the king of Israel what you're deciding to do, even as you try to figure this out in your own bedroom. He hears from God and goes, tell, goes and tells the king. Well, he says, we're going to go get that guy. Where is he? He's in Dotham. They go to Dotham and surround Elijah's house. And Elijah's servant comes out and he looks in the morning and says, we're in deep trouble. There, the Syrian army's all around us. The chariots, everyone is there. And Elijah says to him, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see from a spiritual point of view. And then he sees the armies of the Lord are surrounding the armies of Syria. 
capturing them at an instant they didn't even have to do a battle. There's a special song. When I first heard it, uh, Michael W. Smith was singing it. It's just uh, two pretty much simple lyrics. And in this song, he's repeating them over and over again. He, may, he says, it may look like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by God. It may look like you're surrounded, but you're surrounded by God. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. And when I heard that, I thought, what is he talking about? Then I remembered this scripture. This is how you fight your battles. You trust in the Lord to take care of you. You trust in the Lord to make provision for you. You trust in the Lord all the time and not in flesh. If 2020 is going to be the best year of our life so far, we need to improve our spiritual vision. We need to see things from God's point of view like never before. We need to be able to think what's going to matter a hundred years from now. What's going to count when I stand before the Lord? What's it going to be like when I'm in heaven? I want to do those things that will increase my spiritual vision in 2020. Well, I have three things that I think will greatly improve the eyes of our understanding. But before I introduce the first one, I want to ask you a question. When you think about New Year's resolutions, do you think like me, like probably right at the top of my list is, I need to lose 15 pounds. How many of you would say, that would probably be a good idea for me too. I'm going to lose a little bit of weight too. (laughs) Yeah, I thought so. Well, um, if that's the resolution, actually, you know, when I thought about this just the other day again, I thought, It's not that I'm too heavy, it's that I'm too short. If I just were three or four inches taller, actually I used to be. I was six foot one, and something has happened at 70 years of age. I have shrunk. I'm now five feet 11. So the scale changes, you know what I mean? (laughs) If you're five foot eleven, then the normal weight is about one eighty five. If you're six foot one, you could probably be two hundred. But those things change and you know, it's just one of those facts of life. A lot of things change when you get a little bit older. So this very first thing will help you in your New Year's resolution. The first thing that you can do that will heighten your vision, give you clarity like never before from a spiritual perspective is fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. When you read about fasting in the Scripture, it's always linked with prayer. Prayer and even meditation on God's Word. And if you decide you're going to do this, you're going to have some great company. Because Moses fasted 40 days on Mount Sinai. When you think about what will 40 days of fasting do, well, he came back with the Ten Commandments which really gives us an understanding of what God wants in our lives. Daniel fasted several times. We have the visions that Daniel received during his fast. And he even goes to the Lord to get the interpretation of them so that we can understand the meaning of things that are going to happen as the day of Christ appears. 
Esther fasts and saves almost a whole group of her Jewish friends and family who were in exile. Who knows what would have happened had she not fasted before she went before the king to petition him. David fasted, and we have the book of Psalms, and a man after God's own heart that we can look to and say, I would like to be like that guy. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and we receive from him some of the most important information about temptation, because at the end of his fast, Satan came and tempted him in such a way that he was tempted in all the areas just like we are. Lust of the flesh, lust of eye, pride of life. All the areas of testing that Satan could bring against him, he did. And every time he was tested, the secret for Jesus was speaking the Word of God. Now, anything he said would have become the Word of God. But he spoke those passages which were already there, giving honor to the Holy Spirit's work and those who have lived before him. So when you're tempted... If you want to send Satan on his way, you've got to know God's Word. We learned that from Jesus' 40-day fast. Paul fasted. He tells us we're, we're supposed to fast too. He recommends it highly. He gives us most, in writing, most of the New Testament. There are benefits for fasting and prayer. Cleanses the body of toxins. The loss of body fat. I looked this up because I knew the figures were high. 75% of all men are overweight. (laughs) It's crazy. But that's just the way that it is. We live in such a society as that. Um, We were enjoying Christmas at my daughter's new house. And it came time for dessert. And she says, what do you want, uh, Dad? Do you want pecan pie or do you want turtle pie? I said, I've never heard of turtle pie. I've had turtle soup. There's eight different kinds of meat in a turtle. This has got to be some sort of great nutritious pie that she gave me. But do you know what it was? It was turtle clusters. Those are those candy things in this creamy white filling that was then topped off underneath that. The the crust was graham cracker crust. I never tasted anything like that before. And uh, those are the kind of things, men, that make us heavier than we should be. And then uh, women, don't want to leave them out, 60% of all women are overweight Well, this is one of the benefits of fasting. Diets come and go, but when you fast and you're concentrating on the things of God, God can help you to be receiving all the benefits that fasting will bring. He can increase your control. And that, of course, is one of the gifts of the Spirit. The pastor mentioned just last week, temperance being that wonderful control of God in your life. And then, if you just think about it a little bit, God increases knowledge. He increases power. The disciples were going to cast an evil spirit out of a 
a young boy, the father brought the boy to them and they prayed over him like they had in times past. And usually when they prayed, the demonic spirit would leave. So they came to Jesus after praying for this boy and said, this, there's no, nothing's happening here. This boy is still in trouble. We can see that the demonic power is still there in his life. He's got an evil spirit. Lord, we can't cast him out. And Jesus uh, says, well, it's, you know, if you just have faith, if you just believe, if you, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it would. And after he gives that short dissertation, he says this, but this kind, the kind that he cast out of that boy, only comes out by fasting and prayer. There's something about spending extra time with God and wanting to be close enough to Him that you won't, you don't want distracted by food, fasting and prayer, and then meditation upon the Word of God. When you meditate upon the Word of God and you bring to your mind over and over again the things of Scripture, you can memorize it, but that's just not the same as meditating upon it. David said, I meditate upon your word day and night. A farmer friend of mine said, I think meditation is like a cow eating its food. It has um, four stomachs. And what it swallows the first time goes into one of the stomachs. Then this will seem a little gross, but this is the way it works. It regurgitates what's in the first stomach back into its mouth again, and it chews it over with an all-new flavor, I might add, and then swallows it again. And it makes it cycle through the stomach of the cow. Tremendous benefit because we get milk from the udders. The rest of that benefit goes to the bloodstream, the muscles and bones and fabric of the cow itself. When you meditate upon the Word of God, that's what you're doing. You're bringing it up again and again. You're looking at it more intensely. You're wanting the things of God to become more real to you. And when you're serious about the Lord, the Lord says this, If you seek Me, you will find Me. The trouble is we come short of seeking sometimes and just give the Lord a nod or two. We want to... Give him time. Time. When you need an answer to prayer and it doesn't come right away, try fasting, prayer, and meditation on the Word of God. You may get the answers that you need. Miracles can come your way. Dreams and visions. I was fasting one year. I don't even remember how long ago it was, but I remember the dream I had. My dad was still alive. He died about five years ago. But in this dream, he and I were standing on a shore, just almost like being out here at the Gulf of Mexico and along the beach. That's, that's what it was like. We were standing there, and we looked back over our shoulder, and the Lord was coming. It was like the shining of a light brighter than I have ever seen. 
And as we looked, the light came closer and closer until it picked us up. And we were with the light. And we were moving at that point out over the, the sea, the ocean. And this scripture came to my mind. If I take the wings of the morning and fly to the uttermost parts of the sea, even there you are with me. Things like that that happen during a fast, you do not forget. And God can do mighty things when we give him the attention he deserves. Well, you might say, well, why should I fast? Well, the Lord was asked this very question by followers of John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist's followers were fasting, and the Pharisees fasted twice a week. They went to him and said, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? And he gives this explanation that while the bridegroom is with his men, they don't fast. But when the bridegroom leaves, then they will fast. And of course, our bridegroom, the Lord, has left. And we are the disciples now of the Lord. The Bible talks about a one-day fast, three-day fast, seven-day fast, 21-day fast, 40-day fast. It's really an individual's decision. I didn't have all my books on fasting with me when I thought about talking about this, so I googled fasting. I must have tripped some sort of Google wire. You know, whenever you bring up stuff, then it starts bringing other things right into your Google stuff. Now I've got probably five or six companies that want to sell me books on fasting. There are so many ways that you can do it that will work. And of course, we want to become those who, as God's people, sharpen our vision any way that we can. I'd like to recommend Daniel's 21-day fast. For three weeks, he says, I ate no pleasant bread. Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Neither came any flesh or wine in my mouth. This is basically a vegan diet. You might start off the way I do it. For three days, I don't eat much of anything. I just drink a lot of water. When it comes to the fourth day... And my wife sets a vegetable in front of me. It has an all-new meaning. You want to have that vegetable, and you want to eat it, and you are not complaining at all. It's different than we eat. Daniel wanted answers to the vision that the Lord had given him. And before he was done with that 21-day fast, an angel of the Lord came and began to share things that he had seen in detail, things that we're trying even now to understand today relative to Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. Daniel received instruction from an angel of the Lord. Would you fast a while if an angel were going to visit you as a result of your fast? I, I think I would. And I think he could demonstrate himself that way. Fasting is one thing that we can do that will greatly 
increase our vision for the year 2020. The second thing we can do, time is more valuable than money. All the money in the world can't add one second of time to your God-given destiny, the time that God has allotted you on earth. The Bible says, teach us to number our days, Psalms 90, 12. I did that. I'd never done this before, so I took 70 times, that's how old I am, 70 years old, 70 times 365, then I added from the 28th of November, it happens every now and then that my birthday is on Thanksgiving. And that's how it was this year. Added 31 days to that. And the number of days that the Lord has given me so far is 25,581 days. I did that on my calculator on the phone. So if the days of our lives are three score and ten, it's a whole new meaning for me now. Three score and ten is seventy. And by reason of strength, four score. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. It's where we get the song, um, we fly away in the morning. That one we love to sing comes from this passage. Teach us to number our days. I had a lady in our church that I love very much. She said, anything more than 70 years and you're living on borrowed time. That'd be the case for a lot of us, right? (laughs) Borrowed time. (laughs) If we thought that way, we would be much more careful perhaps about how we live each day after we reach that age. My mother, my grandmother, lived to be 105. Grandmother on my mother's side was 93, I believe. But the grandfathers all died younger. My grandpap Cooper died at 68, and so did my grandpap Garrison. Now, they say it skips a generation. So my dad lived a pretty long life. He died at almost 84 years of age. My mother is going to be 90 in April. So I try to think, you know, the Lord, you could give me quite a few years left or I could die pretty quick because my grand, my grandpap, my grandpaps did. My, my grandmothers lived a long time, but my grandpaps died young. You just do not know how many days you have left. And so they are precious. Here's what I suggest. Here's what will sharpen your vision relative to the time that you have left. Tithe your time. You know what tithing is. That's when you give a portion of your money every week. You're trying to decide, where I'm going to give it here, I'm going to give it somewhere else, but I'm going to give a tithe to the Lord. Most of the time, what I try to do is tithe 10% of my income. I didn't always do this. I used to think, I'm the pastor of the church. Why should I tithe? They're already not paying me enough. But then I started tithing. And I can't begin to tell you what the Lord did. 
things began to happen to me that I had never had happen before. Uh, avenues of money and income that I never even thought could exist came my way. Because the Lord could trust me to tithe what He gave me. He gave me more than enough. And if you stop to think about it, what is more valuable than money? The time you have. And so if you begin to tithe the time, well, what would this mean? How many hours are in a day? Twenty-four. Well, if I'm going to tithe every day an amount of time, that would be 2.4 hours with the Lord. It's more than a God is great and God is good. It's more than a now I lay me down to sleep. It's more than an hour in church on Sunday morning. This time that you spend with God, invested in Him, will pay the greatest dividend of your life. I highly recommend it. I'm not perfect at it, but I want to be. I want to tithe my time. Just say, well, I I don't know where I get 2.4 hours just for the Lord. Well, here's what I heard just on um, one of the network televisions this week. Every one of us, on the average, spend 2.75 hours watching TV. So all I have to do is adjust that a little bit. Not for football, though. You have to watch football, although I was very disappointed last night, Roger. I watch it anyway. But there's time there to be had. Eight hours of sleeping. You got to, maybe you're working yet. Eight hours a day of work that still leaves eight hours you can spend in a lot of different ways which part of that time can be spent with the Lord. Redeeming the time. The Bible talks about this because the days are evil. This is in... Um, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Using every opportunity to seek the Lord because of all the days that you wasted before you became a child of God. I was 19 years old before I gave my heart to Christ. Even though I was raised in a church, even though I heard the gospel for years and years, I did not take advantage of it until later in my teen years. I wasted a lot of time, did a lot of stupid things that I regret. But God has a way, the Bible tells us in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, to give you back the years that the locusts have eaten. You can redeem the time that you have by spending time with the Lord. He can do in a shorter amount of time than you can imagine accomplish great things for God. So we want to be able to see that happening in our lives because the days are evil. We want to redeem the time, tyranny of time. I thought when I retired that I would have a lot more time. But I'm just like my dad who said to me this, I am busier now than when I was working. How can that be? There's just so many things to take care of. So many things to do. So many things that need fixed. So many people calling me to fix them for them. 
So many things that need to be accomplished. So little time to do it. It's the tyranny of time. Mary and Martha can attest to this. Mary, Martha's sister, Martha was the one that actually invited Jesus and the disciples into her house. Lazarus was there at the time, and they had done this more than once. So when they came in, Martha was very busy about getting stuff ready to feed them, getting things put in place so that when the Lord came time to have something to eat and and relax, he'd be able to do that because Martha was taking care of it. Mary, however, sat down at the feet of Jesus with the disciples and listened to the Lord teach. Martha came and said, Please tell Mary to come and help me. I've got all this to do, all to get ready. I I need some help in the kitchen. Jesus said, Don't bother Mary. She has decided to do what is much more valuable than all the other things you are doing, Martha. You're always, always busy. Stewardship of time. In the Bible, there's a parable. It'll be on the board here, but I'm just going to paraphrase a lot of this. Luke chapter 19, 13 through 25, the Lord, through His um, message, the king gives His servants so many pounds they're to take care of. I think it's a pound apiece or something like that. And they invest this over time, and um, then the servant comes, or the king comes back to see how his servants have done. And each servant did so much, except for one. The first servant multiplied it to ten pounds. The second multiplied his one pound to five. The third one did nothing. And even what he had was taken away. Now, since time is more valuable than money, wouldn't you agree? The time you have more valuable than the money in your pocket. What if the Lord gave each of us so much time? And at the end, He comes to ask us, what have you done? Only the things that you have done for the Lord will have any value. It won't be your house. It won't be your car. It won't be the clothes that you wear. It won't even be the church that you attended. It'll be what you personally did in your relationship with God that will multiply reward to you in the future. We're all part of that parable. And then you want to have a lot of time to mentor others. I had been at my church for 40 years. The only pastor that was before me, he had passed away, and, and I was elected the pastor. And then I got old. But all the time that we were in the church, we had this concept of mentoring. All the deacons in my church, there were several, they became very good at preaching the Word of God. The elders in the church, it's kind of the next step up, ministering. Some of you are elders already. You're ministering to others. You're teaching classes. You're doing 
things that the Lord would have you do. Within the eldership of the church, there's another pastor. We had a Christian school, still do, 42 years old. The teachers in the Christian school used to be the students that were in the school. They grew up and went to college, came back, and are teaching others. Growing within your church is so important, and that comes by mentoring people, teaching people how to be all that God can make them. Finally, there's an old hymn, Take Time to Be Holy, Speak Oft with the Lord, Abide in Him Always, and Feed on His Word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing His blessing to seek. Let me quickly go through the very last thing that you can do that will create vision, tremendous vision in your life. Loving others will increase 2020 vision. I believe that God flows into our lives in the proportion that there's an outflow from us to others. In other words, your desire to be a blessing to somebody else, God multiplies His presence in you because of your desire to love others. John 7:38. He that believeth on Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall throw, flow rivers of living water. Now in the Holy Land, there's a description of this from a physical standpoint. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee flows into the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea does nothing without flow. And it's really quite an amazing thing. When I went there the first time, I wanted to swim in the Dead Sea because I heard that you couldn't sink. It's true, you can't. You're out there swimming around just like having a life jacket on You float right back up to the top again. They warn you, though, don't put your head underwater because you don't want the water of the Dead Sea in your eyes. It will really do damage. And what it's like when you come out of the Dead Sea, it's like being slimed. This stuff is all over you. It's, it's, It's terrible. You can't wait to get into their showers. You have to do this, by the way. You have to get that water off of you as quick as you can. Because it's not good for you. It's polluted. And that's what will happen to us if we are always taking in the things of God, but we're not giving out what we understand should be given. Everything that God does for us, every gift from above, is meant to be shared with others. Every fruit of the Spirit is meant to be dispersed to others. Every gift of the Spirit is meant to be given away to someone else. And finally, let me say this. There are three words for love. Eros, that's physical love. Philia, that's friendship love. Agape is selfless love. After the resurrection, Jesus met with the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, John chapter 21, 15 through 17. This was the third time that he showed himself to the disciples. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee, Jesus said to him. 
And Jesus replies, feed my sheep. Verse 16, he said unto him again the second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter was grieved, it says, because the Lord had done this three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three times. How many times did the Lord speak to him about this issue? Three times. It's interesting. Every time Jesus uses the word love, it's agape. Do you have a selfless love? Would you die for me, Peter? That's what he was asking. And Peter replied, Thalia, I like you, Lord, as a brother. I like you, Lord, as a brother. You see, Peter had been humbled. He didn't use that word that he used before Jesus was crucified. I'll die with you. I'll die with you, Lord. All the disciples said that. But now humbled before the Lord, which is the way we all need to be. I misuse the word love all the time. I say, I just love that. I just love that. I just love that. We ought to say, oh, that's, that's nice. I like that. Because love put in the wrong place can be your idol. You want to love the Lord. You want to love people. But you don't want to love things. Each time the response of Jesus was, feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my, feed my sheep. Whatever degree of love the Lord gives us, wherever you are spiritually in your life, you are to channel what God has given you to other people. Loving them. It's not by any accident that that's on the sign here at the church, love God and love people. If that works in your life and flows out of you, God will begin to flow out of you like never before. So if 2020 is going to be the best year of our life, three things that we could do. Fasting and prayer. Tithing our time. Loving others. This is going to be the happiest new year of your life. Some of those things, all of those things, we could do. That's it, I'm done. Thank the Lord for His Word. Praise God. Just want to have a prayer with you. Heavenly Father, how wonderful it is to be your child. How wonderful it is to be in the house of the Lord. How great Thou art. And when we live that way, think that way, act that way every day that we live, it changes the atmosphere. It changes the way we think. And we become your children like never before. We're praying for a year like that, Lord. All around us there's division, hatred, 
I've never seen our country so divided. But you are the one, Lord, who can bring unity of purpose and heart. You're the one that can change the atmosphere. So, Lord, we're giving ourselves to you for that purpose. Begin here with us. Make us a loving, holy, righteous people in Englewood, Florida. Make it so attractive that others come to see what it's all about. So, Lord, we're praying for that person here this morning that might not even know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. It's like being a dead man walking when we don't know the Lord. And we're headed for the second death when we don't know Jesus. So we're praying for that person, persons perhaps, that do not know Jesus as Lord or Savior. We're praying that you will, in fact, Lord, work in their heart right now to bring about a desire for salvation in a very simple prayer. It's a prayer, Lord, of asking for forgiveness. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, come into me and live in my life. Jesus, I give myself to you today. Make me your child. I pray, Lord, that if any of you are here today that have never done that, in some way, somehow, they will make that commitment to you today, Lord. And we're going to give you the glory for that, Heavenly Father, because no one can come unto the Father but by the Spirit of God. You are the one, Lord, who draws. So we're praying that blessing upon your people today that no one may leave here this day not knowing Jesus as their Lord is our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for coming today. God bless you.